Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. So the Bible reading is from Luke chapter 11 and then from verses 1 through to 13. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, let me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Well, technically, we finished our series through the Lord's Prayer already, where we were looking at the Lord's Prayer line by line, and we were focusing on the Lord's Prayer that's found in Matthew's Gospel. But the Lord's Prayer is also found in Luke's Gospel. And immediately afterwards, as soon as Jesus has just finished teaching his disciples how to pray the Lord's Prayer, immediately afterwards he tells them two parables. Now a parable is a pointed story. It's a story that makes a point. And Jesus tells two parables. One parable uh, is about a friend at midnight, and the second parable is about a father giving good gifts. And he tells them these parables in order to teach them something about prayer. Now the the first parable, the parable about a friend at midnight, is what we normally totally misunderstand it. We, we, We normally totally miss the point of that parable. The basic meaning is clear enough. There's this guy... And he has this unexpected guest who's arrived in the middle of the night. He didn't even bother to text to say he was coming. And he's in a tight spot because he doesn't have any bread to give the guy. So he goes to ask his neighbor for some bread. Uh, To ask him for three loaves of bread. That that would be a small, round, flat bread, like a pizza bread. So it's a modest request. And his his neighbor next door responds in verse 7, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. 
And then Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so we normally think that the meaning of this parable is all about uh, being persistent in prayer, just as that guy was persistent knocking on the door, we need to be persistent in prayer. Or, or we think the point of this parable is all about being sort of bold, uh, having this bold audacity to go before God with our requests. Uh, and we think that's the point of the prayer, but that, uh, the point of the parable, but that's not uh, the point. So what is the point? Well, there's this, this biblical scholar who's called Kenneth Bailey. Now, he he basically has devoted his whole professional life, if I understand correctly, he's basically devoted his whole professional life to understanding the parables that Jesus told. And what he did was this. He went and lived amongst the very rural peasant farmers in the Middle East who still spoke Aramaic, the very language that Jesus spoke. The, the, the culture of these very rural peasant farmers hasn't, basically hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's pretty much the same culture as the culture during Jesus' time. All the, the technological advances, all the, the advances in, in culture and changes in culture has basically just passed them over, over their head. They haven't, hasn't affected them at all. And, and so what he did was this. He simply went there, sat with them, and read these parables to them in Aramaic. And he would sit there and he would read the parable to them and he would watch them to see how they would respond. Uh, to see at what point they got shot. At, at what points did they laugh. And then he would ask them, why, why are you shocked at that? And why do you laugh at this? And so what he discovered was that the, the, the parables that Jesus told were essentially jokes. Jesus was telling jokes, but, but we, don't get the, we don't get the joke, we don't get the punchline because we don't have the same cultural references. And uh, I don't know if you know what the punchline was in this particular parable, but what they all, suddenly they all burst out laughing was when this, this neighbor said, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed, I, I can't get up and give you anything. They thought that was hilarious. This was just the funniest thing they'd ever heard. Now, to me, I don't find that funny at all. That seems like a perfectly reasonable response. You know, if someone knocks at my door in the middle of the night and asks some bread, I'm going to turn to get lost. You know, that seems like a perfectly reasonable response. But for them, within their culture, this was hilarious. This was absolutely hilarious. Uh, and so we need to understand, we need to understand something of the cultural background. Firstly, we need to understand that within... The Middle Eastern culture still today, but particularly in, in ancient times, hospitality is a big deal. It's a huge thing. To refuse a guest or to be unable to provide a decent meal for your guest it would, would be shameful. You would lose face. Hospitality, uh, uh, Middle Eastern hospitality demands that the host provide a meal and that the guest eats. A culture demands it. And uh, you need to provide a decent meal. You need to be able to provide fresh bread. I mean, you can't give the guy leftovers. You can't give him a half-eaten loaf of bread. 
that, that, that would be an insult. You would bring shame on yourself. You would bring shame on your whole household. In fact, you would bring shame upon the whole village. And, and secondly, within Middle Eastern culture, this is a crucial point and one that's often overlooked, the whole community is responsible for hospitality. That the guest is not just the guest of this individual, he is the guest of the whole village, the whole community. And so the whole community has the responsibility to ensure that this guest leaves with a good feeling about the hospitality of the village. And so there's absolutely no shame in going to ask your neighbor for some loaves of bread in order to feed your guests because the honor of the village is at stake. And as long as the request is modest, refusal is unthinkable. It's simply unthinkable. Uh, the, the feeble excuse about the door being locked and the kids uh, being asleep it, is laughable. They find it I mean, hilarious uh, you know, to, to come up with such a, a, a feeble excuse uh, when your friend's honor is at stake, when the, the honor of the whole village is at stake, and when your own honor is at stake. See, if you refuse to help, you would bring shame upon yourself and your household. It was simply unthinkable. So such excuses, such feeble excuses, uh, would be laughable. It's a joke. I mean, how hard is it to unlock a door? And sure, yeah, your kids may stir, but they'll go back to sleep. These are just hilarious excuses within that culture. Because no one would refuse. And then the crucial line comes in verse 8, where Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now the crucial line there is, yet because of your shameless audacity. A literal translation is, yet because of his shamelessness. Now that's literally what the Greek says, and it's a bit ambiguous, because who is the his? Is it referring to the, the neighbor who's in bed and refusing to help? Or is it referring to the man outside who's asking for bread? So if it's referring, if the his is referring to the man, the, the neighbor who's already in bed, it would be referring to the shame that he would bring upon himself if he refused to help. If it's referring to the person who's outside, the guy who's asking for the bread, it would be uh, referring to his shamelessness in, in asking for bread in the middle of the night. But as we've already seen, within that culture, there was absolutely no shame in asking your friend for some bread to feed your guests, even if it is in the middle of the night. There, there's no shame in that. However, there is huge shame if you refuse to be hospitable, hospitable to a guest. So it's much likely referring to the shame of the man inside, the neighbor, if he refuses to help. Which, by the way, is the most natural way of reading the Greek. And so the NIV offers an a, a alternative translation in the footnote, which is yet to preserve his good name, which I think is a far better translation. 
And so what Jesus is saying is that even though this guy will not give you any bread because of friendship, he surely will give you more than you need in order to avoid bringing shame upon himself, in order to ensure that he doesn't lose face, in order to preserve his good name. So even though he won't give you bread because of friendship, he will surely give you more than you need to preserve his good name. So what's the point of the parable? What's the point that Jesus is trying to make through this parable? Well, Jesus is using a how much more argument. He's saying if, if this guy, this neighbor, who isn't even a great friend, is he? I mean, he's a pretty bad friend. If this bad friend will come through for you in your time of need, because he wants, because he's a man of integrity, because he wants to avoid being ashamed, how much more will God come through for you in your time of need? Because God is a God of infinite integrity. If, if, if you are confident of having your needs met when you go to such a neighbor in the night, how much more can you be confident that when you take your request to God, He will come through for you? Because God is a God of infinite integrity. But more than that, He's our loving Father. He's our Abba Father who, who loves us dearly. And so Jesus' point is that we can have absolute confidence. We can go to God at any time, with any request, with the, the assurance, like the, the, the knowledge of knowing that, that God's not going to refuse. He's not going to leave us locked outside. No, He's going to meet our needs. And then in the second parable, Jesus again uses a how much more argument. And we read in verses 11 to 13, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I mean, like, no father's going to do that, right? You know, a child comes up to you, can I have an egg, please? No, he has a snake. <laughs> I mean, you're just, you're just not going to do that. No one's going to do that. And Jesus then goes on in verse 13, If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, evil is quite a strong word, but essentially in that context is talking about being sinful. And even the best of fathers are selfish and self-centered from time to time. They get tired and they get irritable with their kids. But even they will give good gifts to their kids. And Jesus is saying, well, if, if the worst of fathers is able to give good gifts, then how much more is your perfect Father in heaven able to give you and willing to give you good gifts? And so we can be assured when we come before God in prayer that one, He will answer our prayers, and two, He will give us good gifts. But the question comes, does God really answer our prayers? Does God really provide for our needs? Because there seems to be a lot of unanswered prayers, and there seems to be a lot of people who are still struggling with physical needs. 
Well, there are a number of things we need to understand about prayer. Firstly, God is promising to give good gifts. So if we if we go to God, we, and, or anyone goes to a father and says, you know, can you give me a, a, a scorpion or a snake? A good father's going to say, no. That's not good. That's going to be and so often we will go with to, to God and ask for things which we think will be good for us, but actually they're not. And there'll be many times I've gone and I've asked God for, for very stupid things, uh, which at the time I thought I really needed and would be really good. And God in His wisdom has said, no. No, that's a stupid thing. I'm not going to give it to you. It's not good. In fact, if God had always answered my prayers the way I wanted Him to, I would have married the wrong woman. Many times. <laughs> so I'm very thankful for unanswered prayer. Secondly, God promises to give us, provide our needs and not our greens. We're talking about daily bread. We're talking about bread, we're talking about egg, we're talking about fish. These were the very basic common meals in the Middle East. And so God, I believe Jesus is saying, God will provide for our needs, our basic needs. Not our greeds, not everything we want, but what we need. Now of course sometimes we still think, well I think there's still some people, God doesn't seem to be coming through for, not even with their basic physical needs. And so things get a little bit more complicated. This leads us to our third point. God is essentially promising to provide us with the Holy Spirit. God is promising to give us the best gift. Something that's really good, something we really need. He's promising to give us the Holy Spirit. He's promising to give Himself. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, that we read earlier, it says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God is essentially promising to always give us what we really need, the Holy Spirit, to give Himself, to give up Himself. You see, prayer is more about having a relationship with God than it is about getting stuff from God. It's more about developing and growing in a relationship with God. In verses 9 and 10 we read, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so prayer is about asking for stuff, physical needs. The first verb, ask, is all about asking for stuff or our material physical needs. So it does include asking for stuff, but that's only one part of prayer. The biggest part of prayer is developing our relationship with God. The other verbs, seek and knock, are all about growing in a relationship about seeking God and finding God. As we see in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When we seek God, we will find God. 
the door will be open and we'll be able to enter into that relationship with God. So prayer is more about growing in a relationship with God and knowing God than it is about asking for stuff. And Jesus says in verse 10 that this is for everyone. Everyone who asks receives. It's inclusive. There are no conditions. Everyone and anyone who asks receives. Now that would be quite a shock to Jesus' original audience. They believed that only, you know, the very religious people, the good people, those who deserve it, people, would receive the Holy Spirit. Not just anyone and everyone who asks. But Jesus says this is for everyone. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek God, if you put your mind to seeking God, you will find God and God will open the door and He will give you His Holy Spirit. He will give up Himself. Maybe you feel, well, you know, I've done, I'm not that good. I'm not, I've done some really stupid things in life. I, I, things I'm really ashamed of. I, I don't think God will do this for me. No. Jesus says everywhere. Everyone who puts their mind to seeking God will find God and God will give them His Holy Spirit. Prayer is more about changing circumstances. Sorry, prayer is not more about changing circumstances. Prayer is more about changing you. More about changing you. See, in this passage, God isn't promising to change the circumstances. He's not promising to, to take all your problems away. He's promising to give you the Holy Spirit. He's promising to be with us in the midst of it. He's promising to comfort us. He's promising to strengthen us so that we can get through, to carry us. He's promising us the fruits of the Spirit, which is greater patience, greater perseverance, greater love, and greater character. So what do you do when you really struggle? You're going through a tough time. It's hard. Maybe it doesn't seem like God's answering the prayers. Well, I'll tell you what I do. I first I get time alone with God. And I just pour my heart out to God. I just tell God exactly how I feel. I share all my heartaches, all my frustrations, all my pains, all my worries. I just let it out. God can handle our honesty. And then I ask God to fill me with His Spirit, with His Holy Spirit, to fill me with His presence. And often what I'll do is I'll put a worship CD on or I'll listen to some worship music on YouTube and I'll just allow the music and the words and ultimately the Holy Spirit to, to minister to me. And normally by the time I'm finished doing that, the problem hasn't gone, the circumstances haven't changed, but I've changed. I've experienced God and I've got this, this greater sense of peace. Uh, and, and a, new, a renewed grace to, to, to strengthen me and to help me to get through. And I'm able to move forward, knowing that God is with me and He's present with me by His Holy Spirit. Maybe you want to just go for a prayer walk, where you just walk and talk to God. Or perhaps maybe while you, you, you're driving to work, or wherever you're driving, you just put on some worship music and just listen to the music and allow God to minister to you. Victoria sometimes lights a candle just to 
focus of focus of mind on God, especially after a busy day, you light a candle to spend time with God. But whatever you do, ensure that you spend time with God, especially if you're going through a tough time. Start the day, end the day with God. And don't neglect community. Don't try and go it alone. Don't isolate yourself. Stay in touch with your Christian brothers and sisters. Meet up. Share with each other. Share your heartaches, your frustrations, and your concerns, and your worries. And pray together. I know it's not easy. I know it's hard. But God will meet you. As you seek Him, as you pour out your heart, He will meet you by His Holy Spirit. And he'll be with you. He will comfort you. And he will carry you. I know that you won't even realize. You won't even realize he's doing But later on you will look back and you'll go, Oh wow, God was working through that situation the whole time. He was working through my friends and through the Christian community. I didn't even realize he was, he was carrying me. Wow, I didn't even notice. That's why it's so good to keep a prayer time. Of all your struggles, all your concerns, all your prayers. And then later you'll look back and you go, Wow. God was there the whole time, working through. Because God is a God of infinite integrity. And He's our loving Father who loves us dearly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you at any time of the day, night or day, with any concerns, any requests, no matter how big or how small. Knowing that you will not refuse us, you will not leave us locked outside, but you will respond to us. And ultimately, you're going to give us something of greater worth and greater value than what we are asking. You're going to give us the Holy Spirit. You're going to give yourself to us. You're going to be with us, strengthening us, carrying us. You're going to give us that grace to help us get through. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for praying. We thank you for the Lord's prayer. It's a wonderful model of how we should pray. And Father, we, we, we confess so often when things start going wrong that we, we often do isolate ourselves. We isolate ourselves from you. We isolate ourselves from the Christian community. Father, help us to do the reverse. Help us when everything goes wrong that we run to you. We run to our Christian community. And help us to be there for them. Supporting each other. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.